0: to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of October 27th. It's the final week of October, which in of itself is, is hard to believe. Time flies, I guess, uh, when you're having fun. But uh, speaking of having fun, I'm DirtOnDirt.com staff writer Joshua Joyner, joined by the rest of the Dirt on Dirt editorial staff, Todd Turner, Kevin Kovac, and Robert Holman, for our weekly discussion of all things Dirt Late Model Racing. Uh, as things have started to kind of sort of slow down here the past month or so, it's been a while since we had an episode, uh, coming off a weekend where, uh, most of us had been on the road covering a race, but, uh, that's where we are this week with three of us having been on the road. Kevin was at the Keystone cup at Bedford speedway. Robert was at why not motorsports park, uh, parks, Coors Lightfall classic. And I was down, uh, at, uh, all tech raceways, Powell family Memorial. And of course, Todd was helping anchor all the, uh, the coverage from home holding it down there remotely so it's been a busy weekend i want to kind of just kind of jump into that uh with maybe each of us talking a little bit about the race uh we went to how it went um and maybe a, a storyline that jumped out at us obviously uh robert dennis erb jr becomes the first back-to-back winner of uh, uh why not's fall classic anything from the weekend other than i mean i think it looked like he pretty pretty well dominated the feature there any storylines jump out at you uh there with with erb's big win
1: Oh, you know, no, nothing, nothing major there. I guess from Herb, it was just kind of a, a little anecdote. But I went to talk to uh, to Dennis after the race, and uh, there was a guy there buying buying a T-shirt, and it was really funny that he shook his hand. He's like, "Uh, you know, that was great, good race. It's always good to see the underdog win." And I was like, I just kind of laughed, you know. And it's like, you know, afterwards when the guy you know walked away, I, I was like. Dennis, were, were you the underdog today? You know, I mean, 31 cars and, and he won last year uh, and he's been top five or top six down there for like eight out of 12 years or something like that. So, so I'm like, not really hundred percent sure he, Dennis was the underdog, but uh, he came in there to me uh, with the field that was there really kind of as the favorite and, uh and backed that up and won, and won the race. So it was uh, 193 cars total down there across six division so it's a, it a good weekend for for that the uh why not in general
0: yeah that's i, I actually a kind of a question i had about it because i know last year i want to say the car count was in the the mid 40s and that's an event that you expect to be you know in the mid 40s or you would like I'm, would seem like would be a good car count and perhaps 30 31 was a little low from your perspective watching the race did that have any effect on the actual racing in the the event or we still able to have a you know a pretty good show there with uh, the nice mixture of regional guys uh, a few national guys dropping in including the underdog dennis herb jr uh but uh, yeah what'd you what'd you think out uh, how that affected the race
1: not uh, you know not really i think if you look back at last year there's a, a world of outlaws the reason last year's car count was a little higher was really because there's a world of outlaws rain out Uh, that weekend and it allowed some of those uh, national guys to come in there and uh, and join that field so based on the fact that you had guys like like Ashton Winger stay home over in Georgia and and there was no Devin Moran and you had some World Outlaws guys that were there last year that weren't this year I, I you know I don't to me it really wasn't a Obviously, yeah, sure there's 10 cars less, but it really wasn't, you know, much different than than years past. I think that it's a it's a still a good eclectic field. I like that word eclectic uh so it's still still a really good field of cars and I think it there's no reason to think that it won't continue to be that moving forward. Yeah, I think that's uh something we've talked about having
0: a maybe during the all season a, a whole podcast on a topic of how these uh these late season especially and there's some early in the season too but especially late in the season these um shows you know traditional shows big shows and big weekends how they can kind of uh that are unsanctioned typically how they can continue to thrive in a, an ever-changing uh world of dirt late model racing with so much racing going on throughout the season so much money uh up for grabs um you know these races that used to seem like big paying races and to some extent you know don't look that way so much anymore especially after the end of a long season how they can Maybe adjust and, and thrive uh, in that world. So um, definitely an interesting topic there that we'll get to. But because uh, there's a lot of those type of races this weekend, um, and I I think Kevin, uh, you were at Bedford. I think it's a newer race. It's not a long running race such as is the Fall Classic at Why Not, but uh, it's one of those that kind of fits that bill. A, a late season unsanctioned event does offer a little more as far as pay uh, there compared to Why Not. Um, how, how do you feel like the uh, the overall? show uh there was of course max Blair got the big win but uh with the car count and kind of where it fit as far as the schedule goes did it was it a, a successful weekend there
2: yeah i thought there might be a few more guys uh you know uh national guys would be coming in you know really about the only the real big name from out of the area i guess you could say was scott bloomquist uh, he came up and raced in which uh you know he's got his uh, sponsor uh, sorbera chiropractic from up in western pennsylvania so i think he wanted to kind of that's kind of one of the attractions to bring him up there to come race uh, um, so i was sort of surprised but i guess it's just been sort of a long season uh you know with a lot for the national guys i mean the lucas isles just just finished last week the outlaws still have a couple more uh uh, last year, Tim McCready ran Bedford, you know, had a, had an off weekend from Lucas. He didn't run this year because he instead went to New York and ran a, a big block modified race, the Eastern States 200. So um, that was that was one guy who could have been possible. That would have been in, in the field. But but still, there was 43 cars there. I mean, which is a pretty I mean, that was up from last year. I mean, that was up almost 10. You know, you know like why not was down uh, and, and Bedford ended up being up. Uh, so yeah, it's hard to like tell sometimes what's going to happen, I guess, with some of these uh, fields. And, and it was a pretty quality field. You had even you had some interest. You had Bloomquist, of course you had the, the regular, you know, the, the Pennsylvania guys, the Rick Eckerts and the, um, and the Jared Miley's and, and all those kind of guys that are, that are like the, the Max Blair, obviously the winner of the race, uh, the, the guys you would expect to be there. So in a, in Man, my my favorite thing of the whole weekend though was the uh, the feature ended at 7:48 p.m. Uh, on Saturday night. That was uh, wonderful, you know. And they, there wasn't like, uh, wow, well, we're going to hold this uh, super late model feature off until the end of the whole show. What's we're going to? They had it planned. Uh, the start was going to be at four uh, seven o'clock was going to be start time, and they just missed out a little bit because it did rain during the until about like early afternoon. So the track was maybe fifteen twenty minutes behind uh, getting started so uh but 748 that was really nice you know especially on night that it was getting colder and colder it was this is one of the first uh felt like really did feel like uh, autumn you know it was it was in the uh was coming because it's been warming even in pennsylvania so far this uh, whole pretty much all of october and and uh it got a little chilly on, on saturday night but the big story i guess would have been uh max blair winning you know max max's uh, biggest career win twenty five thousand dollars and and it should point out that the Keystone Cup each year it's been it's four years now it's gone up started at 15,000 now it's 25,000 to win so it is it is increasing uh for an unsanctioned race and you you like that you like to see the the little uh evolving a little bit and maybe they will uh be able to to draw more outsiders but the outsiders, maybe. I mean, it's it's a good thing. This gives a, some some regional guys a really good chance to make some good money, and and that was exactly what the case was with uh, with Max Blair. I mean, what a what a performance to to be. He won by eight seconds. Uh, he over Jeff Ryan. and Kind of not, not even a contest there. Once he got in the lead, he he really pulled away and. Uh, It really gets him set off, I think, gets some confidence built up for, uh, you know, he tries planning to go World of Outlaws uh, rookie of the year uh, contender next year. And he's off to a, you know, I mean, this is this is what you need to do. You need to start winning big races. And if you're going to be a full time race car driver and that's what he what he did on Saturday.
0: Yeah, that's actually uh, one thing I want to get to is kind of talk about um, what his his approach there with uh with Viper Motorsports uh and and kind of their building toward that um World of Outlaws uh, rookie of the year run they're planning next year uh one so something we'll get at but I do have a question about um the race there I so I'm you know at, at all tech and was looking and I, I see that he won and I'm like, oh that's good and then I see that he in a back something about a backup car in the notes and I'm like so did he come from the back or whatever so did he not he did not have to go to the back or obviously great right. he didn't come from the back in a caution-free race but um <laughs> you know, what what was the situation with that because i knew that was some uh question i think he didn't even know I, I, from what i was reading i think until right at the the moment you know before the start of the race if he'd get it start uh start where he did or not
2: yeah he was scheduled to start six and that's where he did start and when he came out he he uh he hurt the motor during um a piece of mud came up or Hit something in the uh, water pump, I believe it was uh, during that dash. They had a dash for the top three finishers in each of the two semi features uh, uh, from Friday night, and, and they was going to determine the starting lineup for the first three rows of the feature. And, and then the last lap, he hurt the motor, pull up, and uh, he's going to start sixth because he finished sixth in the dash. And typically, obviously, you you when you have to change cars. On a, on that night, and you know, during the race, you have to go to the rear. And I, th- he sort of thought he was going to have to do that also, because when he pulled out on the track, he was sort of anticipating he was going to be in the back. He didn't know like the interpretation of the rule for that day, for by the track. And this is unsanctioned race, not Lucas Oil Outlaws, so uh, they're going by track rules. And and it it, it really their their ruling was. Uh, it was a two-day show, and when, and when the two-day shows happen with Lucas Outlaws, uh, no matter what also, if you change cars in between the shows, you don't have to go to the rear. Uh, you can keep your car because there's no impound. There's no impounding of a car. You don't can't. There's no guarantee who if you have that same car the next day if it's an overnight deal. Um, so in this case, the, they technically, you know, that, that dash was on Saturday. But it was supposed to be Friday. The dash was supposed to be Friday night, um, but it rained right after the second of the two semi features, and and not hard. It was a it was a sort of a light rain, and they really could have probably uh, waited it out and and got it in, and run. that. all I had to do was run a dash, and, and a, like a pure stock feature left, and so they said, now we're not going to sit around here for another for another hour or two. We'll just run it with six laps. Run it t- tomorrow, and their ruling on that is, well, this. Dash was supposed to be on Friday night and he was already locked in to a a top six spot. He didn't have, you know, so they said if it would have if something would have and it happened in that race and, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is, whatever the case uh, they that that's that was the case. They they let him stay up there because it would have run on Friday, could have run on Friday. And uh, so they they weren't going to penalize him for having a problem in that race when it when it really could have happened the night before i guess so kind of a little little different but i could see where they're coming from and that's kind of what i thought was the when there was a little controversy afterwards how come he didn't go to the rear i I thought that's what it would have been and you know i i I don't i don't can't really have that much of an argument with him i don't think it was the biggest i think it was a uh it it was okay from my end i'm not gonna complain i wouldn't i guess some drivers would complain about it but no doubt Mark, max blair was the fastest car in that race that's that's for sure
0: i think that's one of those situations where if, you, if you're going to compl- you're going to complain or not is based on which side uh, it affects you <laughs> if you're the driver who finishes second to max blair you probably aren't you know thrilled with the ruling mm-hmm. if you're max blair and his team obviously you are thrilled about it so um you know when and when it's when it's that case you know why penalize a guy, if, you know, I, I guess uh, if it could go either way, I guess, so to speak. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it interesting. I, I was just getting some some clarification on that because I and and then obviously a, a caution free race. It would have been awfully hard for Blair. Um, I mean, he was pretty good, but he, maybe he could have come from the tail, but um, would have been awfully hard in that caution
2: free. Yeah, but really, Greg Satterly did start 21st and came up to fourth. But he was also a half a lap behind Blair at the the finish. I mean, without a caution flag, he might have been able to give him a a run if a caution would have come out. But never did. So he was way – he never even got – he never even saw Max Blair, uh, (laughs) even though he made a great run from the rear. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah, and uh, so another big race this weekend, the one I was at, uh, Crate Race, and I'm going to spend a a second here talking about it since I was there. Uh, The Powell Family Memorial at Alltech Raceway drew 73. I think it ended up being total cars uh crate late models which is you know uh pretty impressive um you know for i mean it's a big rate, big money race for crate late models twenty six thousand to win so you get a good good crowd of a uh, field of those cars uh and you had a couple uh, a few national touring drivers drop in and one of them jimmy owens uh managed to uh uh to to get the, the win there nice win driving michael lloyd one of michael lloyd's cars uh, kyle bronson uh his owens fellow lucas old series regular was also in one of Lloyd's cars, um, there, they matching cars other than the numbers. Um, the interesting thing about that to me was, was, uh, Thursday night Owens was not very, very quick. And even, uh, Friday night, he did qualify fastest in his group and won his heat race, one of six of them, but he wasn't, he wasn't really that impressive as you expected Owens to be. And he talked about that Saturday night after, after winning, how he had to really adjust to the crate, uh, driving the crate. And the biggest thing was surprising to him is he was actually spinning his tires off the corner. Um, and I think it speaks to how slick Alltech can get that even a crate late model uh, will will break the tires loose quite a bit and spin if you don't have good throttle control at a, at the the big half mile track there. So he did uh, of course get that uh, figured out by feature time and was quite impressive. He started fourth, got to the lead really 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 quick. I think by lap coming off of turn two on lap two, he was in the lead and really never looked back. Uh, he he had a pretty sizable lead uh, one at one point in traffic. They, uh, the field kind of caught up to him and then late in the race, the track did take some rubber. And so everyone was pretty similar on speed and they were able to keep pace. But until then he was, uh, as I think you would expect, uh, a driver of his caliber to be, um, in that field, he was head and shoulders, I think quicker than, than everybody else, but, uh, still a, a good big win for him. Interesting. It's his highest paying win of the year is it comes in a crate late model. So I'm sure he's not, uh, you know, um, would have liked to have had some bigger wins than the super late model and perhaps still has a chance to with some races coming up but uh definitely a, a nice way to kind of run uh, towards the end of the season here a nice boost for him and he had one like that last year i think in the uh, crate late model uh, driving lloyd's car there at volunteer he had a, a bigger pain win late in the year so Um, And some good performances. Uh, Carson Ferguson continues to prove he's uh, one of the the better crate drivers in the country with a runner up finish. And I mean, again, the track had rubbered um, by the time he got to second. And so he was able to keep I don't know if he had been able to keep up with Owens with the weight when the track was um, more racy and uh, had to move around. But he did keep pace and actually pressured Owens a little bit there towards the end after I think he came from seventh or eighth or something like that. So a good run for him there. Uh, Todd, I want to get you in here. I don't think we've had you talk yet. Uh, and so I figured I'd let you kind of give us a, a quick rundown maybe of some of the other races, um, that stood out some of the winners from the weekend that were significant, uh, cause it was again, a busy weekend.
3: Yeah, still a lot of, uh, five figure paydays. Uh, uh, Dalton Wilson won the steel bot Land- bandits deal there in Cherokee, which is for that kind of limited, limited style car, but that's a, a big, uh, pretty good car count for that. And Wilson won 10,000 there. Uh, Corey Hedgecock won his richest uh, payday uh, at 15,000 at I-75 there uh, in the Ironman South race, and it was really a 12,000 to win race. But there was a bonus that Chris Tully put up for someone who could set fast time and also win a heat along with the feature. So uh, Hedgecock picked up that extra three grand, and then that's Sonoa in Georgia. Ashton Winger swept the Southern All-Star weekend, which which is great because that was 13,000 for him, but even more so it kind of points toward uh, next month's Peach State Classic there, which uh, has a 10,000 to win opener and then a 52,025 maybe. Anyway, 52,000 something uh, to win for the finale. And uh, and uh, Winger kind of, um, you know, put his name on, uh, on, put everyone on notice that he's the guy to beat there because he outran uh, – top ranked uh, Brandon Overton, both nights there at snow. Um, they're very, very impressive performance. Winger, you know, he's, he's been in different cars there, but he, uh, he has clearly shown he has figured that track out compared to, uh, you know, he's racing, you know, not all the national stars, but there's some strong Georgia guys there, Clanton and page and Overton and those guys, uh, to outrun them two nights in a row and to, uh, it's quite impressive. So, um, so I'm sure he's, uh, uh, he tried to play it down a little bit, the peach state classic, but, uh, I'm sure he, uh, the pressure's building a little bit on him, uh, cause he's definitely going to be the guy everybody will be talking about that weekend.
0: Yeah, he, uh, he's definitely, I think I, I looked he's five for five at, uh, Senoa this, this year, uh, which is impressive. And, uh, along with this past weekend's sweep, he won the world of outlaws race there, october 2nd i believe and, and outran chris madden uh and all the world outlaws records brand brandon, brandon shepherd was there so to me it's it's hard not to see him as a clear favorite for uh the Pe- peach state classic next uh next month but uh, it'll be exciting anyway to see if someone can uh figure something out uh to kind of knock him off a throne there because he has definitely got that place figured out doesn't seem to matter what car he's in he's 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 just red hot there and hard hard to beat so be interesting to watch one um one thing I thought we'd spend some time talking about today, uh, uh, Kevin, you kind of hit on it. And that was uh, was as we're, as we're kind of gearing up toward looking toward next season, we've mentioned a little bit about the different schedules coming out. And one thing we're already seeing is a few guys, uh, uh, up and coming guys, and kind of announcing their intentions to to run for a rookie of the year on uh, one of the two tours as you mentioned max blair with his big uh, win this this past uh, weekend at bedford he's uh already made clear him and the viper motorsports bunch their intentions to follow the uh, world of outlaws next year and uh, run for the rookie of the year there i know uh, I, there will be at least according to some um, what they've said there will be an overton on the lucas old tour next year it won't be brandon or it could be at this point but uh, for sure at least planning on it, is Cody Overton, his younger brother, um, with uh, Matthews, uh, Jeff Matthews' team, plans to run for Lucas Old Rookie of the Year. and It really brings about those two guys, two totally opposite um, dynamics there as far as getting to that point where they're going to run for a national tour for the first time. Uh, You have Max Blair, who is one something Kevin is like four closing in on four hundred total features. Yep. Almost four hundred, yes. <laughs> and and, and over ten The Cody, age of thirty one. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and Cody is um really doesn't have a whole I mean he's won a lot of crates crate races and, and 602 and, and 604s uh, and he's done been impressive in what little bit of super late model racing he's done but I, I think he still only ran like 15 at most uh, super late model races so you really have two totally different dynamics there and I thought that'd be kind of a good discussion is is what we've maybe see we've seen leads to a successful rookie season and, and what you know kind of how to get there if you're building up to become a rookie on one of these national tours uh, what what kind of sets you up for success and I know you had a good point Um, As we were talking before uh, recording uh, the way Max Blair and and the Viper Bunch is doing it this this season kind of gearing up for next year. Kevin, I wanted to get your take on, you know, where you see how you see them trending toward that run next season.
2: Yeah, I mean, because they've really ever since uh, Max was hired by uh, Sean and Lisa Martin from Pennsylvania, the Viper Motorsports uh, owners back in, uh, you know, mid in the spring after they they broke up with uh, Daryl Lanigan uh they're, they've pointed that that's been the point like you know they're, they're going world of outlaws uh rookie of the year uh chase next year that's what they want to do um and so everything has been sort of like focused on that they've been building up their their inventory their stockpile of cars you know i mean every their 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 their, their uh program is is pointed towards that i mean they, they ran the rest of the ulms schedule and but in between that uh Martin took, uh, Max Blair to Eldora for the dream in the world, uh, world 100s. He took him to the dirt track world championship a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's taken, uh, he had did a, a weekend with the outlaws out in Indiana, uh, earlier back in June, I think it was a week before the dream. Uh, so it, it's just like all these raids, he's kind of like shooting them out here, putting them out here, like trying to. and what Shauna said, he's, he's trying to get them out of his comfort zone, you know, like. Uh, when you get to be a driver that wins that much, I mean, he can win, you know, he's every time he goes to a race in Western PA, other even when a shit even when he goes to a national tour race, you know, I mean, when he goes to a world, he's won World of Outlaws uh, in his neighborhood. Uh, you know, he nearly won the Firecracker last year. So he, he's uh, at, at Lernerville. So he's reached a point where he knows how to get around even in a super late model in Western Pennsylvania and the surrounding area. But when he goes outside of that, it's a whole different ball game. You know, he's not used to that. And, and, and he's not like, he's not quite as confident in in his uh, setups or in in his decisions and stuff. And that's what uh, Sean Martin wanted to get him out. He wants to get him out, get him, Shake him up a little bit. Get him outside because he he did well at the dream. He comes back at the world and he didn't do as well. And Sean took that as like another step in the progression, as hey he he needs to learn. He needs he needs to put that in the back of his mind. What he did the first time was better than the second time, and uh, and keep moving. And actually, they were planning to go down to Sonoma this weekend. This past weekend, they weren't they weren't going to run. Uh, they were going to plan to run uh, Bedford, even though it was in their backyard, because they wanted to go down and, and get some more uh, more experience outside of the area uh, at a track that uh, they do plan to run the fifty two thousand dollar race in a few weeks, and there will be an outlaw race there next year too. So they would kind of get a lot of experience there before they get to the outlaw races next year. Uh, but they, he could, Sean said he couldn't quite find, they couldn't find the tires that they really needed to be able to run down there and run the world finals and run the next race of Sino and you know, and they also want to run. Hunt the front race at uh, Milton, Florida, in the middle of De- uh, November too, towards the end of November. So they need to have the tires for that. So they stayed home. Great decision. Twenty five thousand, and I, you know, and it sort of gives you that confidence too. I mean, now he has the confidence that he can win a big twenty five thousand. He's he does not just want a ten thousand dollar to win race. He's won a twenty five. It's a little another thing in his resume. Um, it's I, it's just a different kind of. Uh, I mean, it, it's I, I kind of feel like it's the right way for. A, a new a rookie to be able to go out there. I mean, this is a team also that's been out there. Uh, Viper has been on the on the tour and World of Atlas tour. with again. They tried to do it a few years ago with Kyle Hardy, but they probably weren't ready that that year. Kyle Hardy didn't have as much experience as Max Blair either. So I, I think this. I mean, Max Blair has proven himself over and over on the local level. And a lot of guys that go on go out to be a rookie with a national tour haven't really proven themselves like that on a on a local or regional level. They haven't won much, but they go out there early and, and it, sometimes it could beat you down i I think or or you, uh or you don't have the equipment that you need to do it so max blair is uh is kind of going to be a different type of rookie where he's really experienced and uh got the got the program i think to be able to to be a contender yeah it definitely
0: takes the uh, the right combination I, I think is what i've seen if you have a driver who's not ready you can have the best team and the best equipment and you know you're you're probably going to struggle if you have a team a driver that has all the talent in the world but you're you know you're down on equipment you don't have the you know the the, the, the a full team together crew a crew chief and all that that knows how to make decisions Then you know it, you got to have the the whole package there and they seem to be building that um, when i thought when we talk about it from the the driver perspective uh, you know, I mentioned Cody Overton being on kind of the other end of the, the spectrum, um, which isn't unusual. There's been plenty of guys that have very little late model racing or racing experience, and, and they decide that they're going to do it. They, uh, they want to do it at that level eventually. So they might as well, I guess, jump in head first, I guess, so to speak. And if you have the opportunity, you know, Overton landing a ride there, uh, with Matthews, it, and they wants what he wants to do, the car owner wants to do, and they have, they do have the equipment, a well funded team. It makes sense. Todd, do you, do you see that, that being a, uh, you know, a viable option to pursue it that way, or, or you know, and, and and kind of build your experience at that level, or do you think, uh, like like Kevin was mentioning, it's kind of you need to build yourself regionally first? Well,
3: I'm, I mean, you hate to see those guys, and uh, and I think we've all seen this over over several years. Some guys clearly are are not equipped to to run it either based on their experience or the team that's behind them. Um, or or just just a wherewithal to run a national tour and part of the problem is you know you start it down there in speed weeks against basically some of the best fields of the year so we've seen certainly seen a lot of people down there just go in and be in way over their head and then just call it a call it quits. so we've even seen pretty good drivers do that because they feel like they're down in the points it's kind of a it's kind of an odd sport in that way to start as rookie of the year you know like if you're a baseball player you can kind of you know, maybe start a couple months into the season, get called up from the minors, you know, get a little, get a little time. And then by the end of the season, then you're, you know, when, when things are important, then you're playing well, well, these racers, they got to start off from the very beginning, facing these, these tough speed week fields down in Florida. So that makes it doubly tough for those teams uh, uh that may be under equipped or not have the experience and such. Uh Overton seems like, a, I mean, Jeff Matthews is, you know he he's well versed in racing and knows what it is. He's got the money to to support them. I I, I think that that seems like a valid team, uh, but we you know you certainly seen some. I, I know Kevin might remember this, um, been when you were with World Outlaws, Kevin. We were at the they had like a little uh, media thing at Belusia. Oh, here's the, here's here's the rookies and they're talking about all the rookies and stuff. And as we're at this little media thing, we look up and one of the haulers is pulling out of the, of the guy that's supposed to be one of the rookies. Oh well. I guess maybe not this year, which, you yeah, know, whatever. But uh, uh, anyway, it's funny. It's it, it's funny to 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 kind of watch that and how it all plays out. And it also it is funny how the, the there's so much em, uh, emphasis on that speed weeks. You know, um, you know, you can have a, a lousy 10 10 week stretch during the season or 10 race stretch during the season. And that's that's not nearly as magnified as speed weeks. When people just throw up their hands and say well forget it we can't do this you know um i i don't know it's it's a it's a tricky tricky thing to 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 ch- ch- take a shot at the national tours so uh, uh, on either side
0: when you start down there in florida yeah that, the way you, you mentioned that the way the starting down in florida and how difficult that can be uh they tied that it brings up another point or another approach that some guys take where they don't really even say they're running for it they just kind of go to Florida and say, Hey, we're going to see how it goes. Um, and I guess sometimes that may pay off, but I always feel like that, you know, that also, uh, that doesn't tend to, usually that doesn't pan out. Usually that's, you know, again, Florida doesn't go. If if you're basing on how Florida is going to go and you're a rookie or a guy who has, at least hasn't traveled nationally, you know, competed at that level very much. You're probably not going to do well in Florida just because it is so difficult. Although Kyle Strickler proved us all wrong there, you know, with Lucia this year. Um, it's so difficult with the, the type of the fields that show up there on on both tours with the, the tours not being, um, you know, having any head to head events here these uh, last few years. So um, but I think it, it does. I look at a guy like like Overton, if he's going to you know, make it in this sport and learn it, it, you know, it may not hurt to go ahead and learn at that level. Right. If you, like I said, again, if you have the equipment, you have the team and the opportunity to, you know, maybe there is an, opportunity. you know, I I don't blame him for choosing to do that and and, and taking that opportunity. Um, I think most drivers would, I don't think anyone would turn it down. Um, you know, racers, but, uh, another, and this kind of goes back to the max blair but todd you mentioned this i found this uh interesting you talk about like a, in baseball a minor league you know a rookie being caught up from the minor leagues after he's had some time to to get in the rhythm to to, to then coming up to, in the middle of the season and then being ready to go towards the end of the year i almost feel like that's an example that um and i don't know for sure if he's planning on doing it next year but you know like a spencer hughes uh so to speak who they talked about running potentially one of the national tours full time next year um he kind of did do this year he kind of got caught up to that ride um uh kind of mid-season and has built up toward potentially running um not end of the year here uh, per se but end of the year being building up to, uh, in baseball but the, the that point in um for our sport being speed weeks whenever you got to be on and ready to perform if you're going to get off to a good start on a national tour um uh, Robert. I know you've you've covered Spencer Hughes a lot, and you were actually this weekend. I believe he was at Why Not. Do um, you feel like that's something they're kind of building toward, and the way he's building uh, his program and and what he's doing and getting that experience might be beneficial if he does choose to run a national tour next season.
1: You know, it clearly it can't hurt any time that you you get out and and are able to compete against better competition on the road. Uh, it, it obviously can't hurt. Uh, you know, you're you're moving forward, but you know me personally. You know I've sat here and listened to you guys, and I agree with pretty much everything that that you guys said. But you know I've I've outlined literally four points that that will make it a a success. There's four things that you have to have to to be successful uh, at the national level on the road, and and this really goes for a rookie or or a veteran, but especially a, a rookie. And and I'll even put them in order. The first thing is money you have to have money you cannot uh go out there hoping to make it week to week That's just not going to get it done because there are going to be bad weeks they're going to be bad days there are going to be bad bad nights that you that you don't make any money you've got to have money and you've got to have a projected budget where you can get from race to race and you know that you're going to do it comfortably number two you've got to have patience with a rookie with a with a first year program out on the road You must have patience because there are going to be bad nights and if you're not willing to accept them you might as well just go to speed weeks and go to the beach and enjoy all that speed weeks has to offer and then come on back home and run your regional stuff you've got to have patience so number three communication you must it is absolutely imperative to have communication and i mean that from a team's perspective you you must have a team that is as has gelled as can communicate with each other and that that can bounce ideas off each other and not get upset and and really you have to have that from the driver to the crew chief to the owner you have to have an owner who understands that there're going to be bad nights you have to have a crew chief who understands that this driver is not always going to listen to what I, I have to say. And you have to have a driver who understands that sometimes the crew chief is right. So you have to have that communication, you know, in that team there. And then number four, and this is what I'm putting last is experience. Because I think if you have the first three, the experience as a driver, you've gained enough experience, probably at the local level to, to drive, to hold a steering wheel, to drive a race car. And if you got the first three, I think number four will come in time and you can survive with putting experience as the fourth factor there that, that, you know, that you need out on the road, you know, and then you got to think, what are your, what are your actual goals? You know, what are your goals out there on the road? You know, and I've got four things listed there. Are are you trying to be the rookie of the year? Are you actually trying to win a championship? Are you trying to just make sure you finish in the top five in points or is it just a matter of survival? You know, those are the four things because tr- trust me, survival often is success. If you can go out on the road and you can make it 65 races and not, you know, not give up, that's survival. Even if you finished eighth in points your first year out, that's that's success to me. Um, and then, you know, and then to Todd's point about speed weeks, it is tough to start out down there against the best and the best. So, my advice if you're going to decide to run for rookie of the year, stay and the world outlaws tour just stay away from east bay don't don't subject yourself to that torture you know when you're decided i'm going to run for rookie of the year of the world outlaws and vice versa if you decide to run rookie of the year of lucas go to east bay go to their races stay away from volusia don't subject yourself and your engines and your equipment and that stuff because you're going to need it in the long haul you know that's that's kind of my in a nutshell, what it what it takes to be out there, and I think back to kind of your question about Spencer Hughes. I don't know. I, I can't. I don't know what their bank account looks like, but clearly he is. He is uh, experienced enough and proven himself out there against good competition where he's knocking off these top fives in these national touring races that he's got that, uh, and I think that that they're understanding enough patience wise. I think they've got you know what. I think they probably hit all the things on my checklist to to have a successful season. I really do. And so I have, I see no reason why Spencer Hughes can't go out there and and have a a good year on a national tour. And, you know, kind of back to Kevin's uh, uh, comments about Max Blair, how in the world could a driver, I don't know Max Blair personally, I don't know if I've ever even talked to him, but how in the world can a driver like Max Blair not have confidence? This cat is good. I mean, he's won 400 races. He's won big races. He's won against the best. Even if it's in his backyard, he's won against the best. If that guy lacks confidence, holy cow, if this guy's good. So there's no reason why that guy can't have success out on the road either.
0: Yeah, I think sometimes, though, like uh, that that having won all those races and all that experience Max Blair has, um, and he's not the only driver that's kind of been uh, had this happen, but you kind of get pigeonholed where it almost seems like – I say he's not, I'm not going to say he's only good in his local area but he's so good there that maybe his you know the way he's developed his driving style and the way he's learned to set up his cars and everything has has kind of made it where he's not as good elsewhere so I think I think that's kind of what Kevin was was speaking to to and and I think uh, Sean Martin would say he's trying to get him out of his comfort zone because he has become so comfortable in his home state and his home area and so good at winning races there that he needs to get better elsewhere before they really tackle that tour. Uh, another thing I was going to mention Robert you kind of brought this up but um having uh, correct or ac- realistic goals, I think is important for rookies. If you're, you know, if you're going out there like Cody Overson next year, knowing you don't have a whole lot of experience and you're learning and you just, you know, you're trying to get that experience, you know, what is your realistic goal? Um, You know, especially if you're going to run Lucas Oil, which I think is what they're they're leaning toward, you're going to have, you know, that's, that's the toughest competition there is week in and week out. You're going to, there's going to be nights that you struggle, you know, I'm sure for Max Blair going over on the outlaws, the experience he has that those expectations, those goals are going to be a bit higher, uh, but at the same time, keep in mind that, you know, he's going to, he, or your rookie is going to be at times struggle. So I think that's important too. One thing this uh, this rookie discussion kind of brings up, and we we didn't you know haven't hit a whole lot on, but I know Todd probably wants to uh, speak to is what exactly is a rookie. Um, sometimes I feel like the uh, the definition or the requirements for rookie status on these tours is um, uh, a little uh, flexible. Uh, Todd, do you feel like sometimes it's not as uh, well defined with some of the guys that are uh, get to get run for rookie of the year some seasons
3: well i I get it the 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 national tours want anybody to run with them so anybody that wants to run with them who kind of hasn't run much nationally they're going to be like hey can i run for a rookie of the year they're not going to tell them no the best they can uh but but that you know and and over the years that's that's you know it's it's been an issue sometimes guys are clearly rookies uh some guys like this year for instance you could argue tyler burning he he ran for Rookie of the Year with the with Lucas Oil last year and now World of Outlaws this year. And I and I saw in the press release with Gustin yesterday, you know, he kind of takes a shot at him a little bit. It's like, yeah, he was Rookie of the Year. He also ran a national tour the year before, you know. So, you know, I was a real rookie kind of thing. Um, and that's tricky because we don't have a formalized sport where, where we all vote on, oh, here's the 10 best regional drivers and they can all go run a national tour, you know, because of the components of teams to haven't had money and the, the will to, to go run those. It's not, it's not a formal thing where the rookies are somebody specific. It's who kind of wants to do it. So it's a little tricky to, to kind of figure out who really is a rookie and what the standard is, you know, do, if they want a certain uh, amount of money in races, if they want a certain amount of races, um, you know, it's a little tricky and Kevin can speak to this a little bit. Cause I know he's with world of outlaws. He's probably kind of gone through that, uh, Kevin, yeah, like I don't, I don't. You were around when Brown Shirley wandered on World of Outlaws, was not he? And he just kind of come off Knoxville, and it's like, is he really a rookie? You know that kind of thing. Talk about that, Kevin.
2: Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, I started. I was two thousand six, seven in that area, and I know two thousand seven was the year that he uh, he ran his first outlaw stuff. Um, and at that point, it was the, basically it was like how if the qualification sort of at that point was, have you has a guy won a $10,000 race yet in, in his career? And and that was, you know, and they they, they had not had chances really to win national tour races yet because the outlaws were so new, you know, they and, and Lucas was just starting up. So it wasn't like there's 15 years of like, well, that guy could have won an outlaw race. You know, he didn't have many opportunities yet. And um and. There wasn't as many ten thousand dollar win races uh, at that point, so it was like that was like a big qualifier there. I mean, you, that means that you would you you had reached another level, I guess, with the ten grand win. But then every each year, you know, there's more outlaw races, more Lucas races, there's more ten thousand to win races left than over that way, and and it got to the be like, well, we can't just disqualify a guy from winning a $10,000 race or a national tour race when they want to come out and run the national tour when they, they they clearly have never run one before, you know, they, they, but they've won a bigger race just like Shirley. He'd won a bigger race, but he'd never been, he'd never raced in New York. He'd never raced on the East coast or anything, you know? So it, it was, uh, you had to kind of, The line started blurring. And how do you figure out this rule? And I I know there was one uh, It got to the point with the outlaws where they would we'd have the when I was with them, the drivers would have to uh, declare, do you want to go for rookie of the year? Do you want to be considered for rookie of the year? And then we'd have a vote. You know, actually, there was a little panel with the outlaws of, of some drivers and some officials and a couple. And I think a guy named Todd Turner might've been involved with that. Right. I think it was 2009. Right. Todd with, um, with Brady Smith, Brady Smith had never run yeah. a national tour and he wanted to come out, but he'd also won an outlaw race already. And he was voted not to be a, a, a rookie. I mean, like, it, I'm sure he still looks back at that and is like, damn, I mean, I, I, I probably, I, these guys here—they run another series, and then they come run the other series, and they're still a rookie. I mean, what's going on here? And and poor Brady didn't get to run for rookie of the year that year. He did the whole season, and I believe you. I, I just looked it up. I think he, he finished eighth in points that year, uh, but he wasn't considered a rookie. <laughs> so I, Russell King was actually the rookie that year and, and got that. Who he had never won a, a bigger race, he'd never he so he was probably more of a rookie. In the, in the late model overall terms of it but in the national tour terms both of them were really rookies they had never been out on the on the road like that so and uh and now it just seems like well if you've never run the tour it's almost like you're a rookie i mean i don't know is brandon overton is he going to be considered a rookie if he goes runs the lucas oil series next year i don't know you know does brandon shepherd if it's brandon Shepard? Well, he's already run it. Actually, forget about that. Let me let me strike that one out of there because Brandon Shepard did run the Luke Soul Series, so that's not a good example. But Overton would be a good one, right? So I, it's it's kind of hard to really to, this really determine it now. I think
0: I, I think it would be easy to determine that Brandon Overton would not qualify for Rookie <laughs> of the Year yeah. on any any late model series at this point. But I, I do agree; it is hard to uh to to make that where do you draw the line so to speak yeah uh, what you got there robert
1: well um uh, i'm not sure if i have my facts correct or not but didn't billy moyer jr win rookie of the year on both tours
2: mm, i mm. believe so. yeah I yeah was, yeah that, that got to the point there too right where you could just you know i mean they, they weren't going to go into as much detail anymore of like well uh, we will break it down you know it, it came became a lot uh more of a simple thing i think yeah i, I feel like and
0: it could have already been before this, but whenever uh, Moore Jr., I don't remember which order it went, but when he did one and did the other, and I think he'd already, at one point, had tried before that to run a national tour and didn't make it very long, and it was just like, what is a rookie anymore? That was kind of what solidified that it's is pretty much there is no definition anymore. It's kind of what, and, and I think sometimes if there's no one else, um, I'll say no one else, but if you're, you're, you 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 want to, as a tour, I'm sure have a couple of rookies, maybe three that are real, realistically going to try to run the series and not just make it through Florida, but have a good shot at running the series. So you may, you know, in a year, that one guy, maybe the year before wouldn't have you wouldn't have considered because you had other guys. If you didn't have as many, you might kind of stretch those, Boundaries a little bit to to allow it. I, I don't know. I'm not saying they do. I'm just saying I could could see why you would do that as a national tour to add that um, you know that that aspect of having a good rookie chase. So, but yeah, I feel like that was a good discussion. I don't know if uh, any uh, late model potential or uh, prospectus late model national touring rookies are listening, but hopefully, if you are that helped you (laughs) along the way (laughs) to some extent but uh anyway i think we'll uh we'll go ahead and uh start wrapping this thing up and uh, as we do every week we will finish up with our one more thing segment where we each mention one thing from the previous week or maybe the week ahead because we didn't talk much about the upcoming week uh that's uh is we feel is notable and worth mentioning um and i will start with uh see i'll start with robert on this on this one what you got robert
1: well I was just, uh, you know, i kind of looking looking over the schedule there, and you've uh, got Phoenix City coming up. And I don't know if I'm stealing that from from you or not, but uh, uh, I was, uh, and I hate to pick on these people, but I was talking to Dennis Herb uh, down there. At Why not? And the last thing Dennis says to me is, uh, "Hey, are you going to the circus this weekend?" And uh, I. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, didn't, I didn't draw the short straw on that one, but uh, Dennis said that he is going. Uh, that he talked to the, the folks down at Phoenix City, and they, uh, you know, it's pays twenty thousand to win and a thousand dollars to start, which is uh, really good money down there. Uh, he said that they've guaranteed the purse, and that he expects it to be a, a much better program and a much better show. So, uh, so that's I know that you are heading that way. Uh, I do believe uh, Joshua so so that's uh, good for you to 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 think that things should be uh hopefully you know swinging back to the when Phoenix City was one of those events that everybody looked forward to going to Uh, I hope it gets back to that direction because man that is a really a great facility and a great place to go watch a race and they have a bunch of late models down there and a bunch of different classes which has kind of been their, you know downfall at times but uh you know they're paying a lot of money and and so I'll, i'm looking for phoenix city to be better than it's been in in the last few years and i'm hoping that they can get a, a big crowd and, and make some money and, and really get that place back to to the way it was back in its heyday
0: yeah i was um you didn't really say one more thing i'm just gonna jump in and add that uh, i do feel like they're uh the changes they have made there i mean there's no doubt it's kind of been some some issues some disorganization it seemed like with these major events they have um there at east alabama and it's unfortunate it affected the uh i would say the status of the national 100 but um i didn't go to the alabama state race this year but i heard some positive things that's the the tracks other big race um you know as far as how they handled it and how it was uh, uh the payout was good and everything and so uh, a lot of drivers left their positive which uh, you know long weekend at any track but especially the long weekend there a lot of times um there's not very many other than the winners leaving feeling positive so was happy to see that and i think it bodes well for the the future of that event uh, i'll add as i guess kind of my one more thing that's all that randy weaver plans on being there um so i think it'd be interesting him returning there i think that's where he he had a a wreck one of his wrecks there um the one that uh, the concussion that kind of sidelined him for a while so uh, he's going to be returning there and uh yeah, you know, hopefully has a, a good weekend and a good run it should be a good field um again all these races at the end of the year we kind of talked about this it, it, when i say good field you got to keep it in perspective um compare you know we're not talking about there, you know, if you can get a handful of national touring guys elite your top level regional guys that that's you know that's a good field these days so i think uh, east alabama will have a good one uh this weekend uh kevin what do you got for more thing
2: uh i'll stick with uh with bedford from uh this past weekend uh uh, one of the feature winners, the semi-feature winners on Friday was Jeff Ryan, the track champion a million times at a, uh, at, uh, it seems at uh, Bedford and Seelands Grove. And he runs at Bedford for the Elbin racing team, which is a long time uh, team. And, uh, they were racing less than a month after the, uh, owner of the team, Bob Elbin senior died at 88 years old. And, and so they came to that race, uh, on, um, Uh, the Keystone cup with the F 100 replacing the 92 on their race car on uh, Ryan's car. F 100 was the uh, number that Bob Elbin senior used back in the day when he ran sprint cars and back in the sixties and then other divisions and stuff. So it was a, it it was pretty neat to to see that little throwback and, and then Jeff Ryan goes out and wins the semi feature on Friday night and finished second on Saturday. He kind of, he led the beginning of the race until Max Blair took him and, uh, took over uh you know like lap 22 and, and and at the race on Saturday also was uh Bob Elbin's wife uh she was there you know with and seeing watching her son's uh you know crew on the car and stuff she had uh, came out to the race and uh, would have been really neat if She would have gotten the got on to victory lane, but she was over there uh, talking with Jeff after the race and and, and visiting with her sons uh, after after everything was over. So, pretty just thought it was a pretty neat story. That it was almost a really really cool story. If they would have won the big one, uh, which Ryan actually did, that was he gave them that team the biggest win they ever did ever had when it paid fifteen thousand dollars back in uh, twenty eighteen, the first year of the Keystone Cup.
0: Yeah, it was a, a, a good run for uh, Ryan there, and obviously a nice tribute uh, would have been. I'm sure they'd liked to have made it a little bit better with the with the big win, but I'm sure they were all happy uh, or or uh, pleased to have that uh, good of a weekend uh, with the, the tribute theme going on there. Todd, what do you got for one more thing?
3: Well, I played uh, golf with my brother-in-law, Jerry, the other day, and when, when we got out of the car and met, he handed me a 124th die-cast box of a ken schrader dirt late model from i guess the 90s i can't remember exactly but but i think the story goes i had bought this car for his sons my nephews who are now about 30 years old uh as a gift when i guess when we i took them to the races when they were little kids and we must have seen ken schrader um anyway they've kept this in the box pristine uh, and he handed it to me. He wants me to find Ken and uh, get an autograph on it. He thinks that <laughs> I, I guess maybe he plans on keeping it for a while and making it a little more valuable and selling it down the road. So anyway, it's in my possession and Ken Schrader, if you're listening, I'll see you somewhere. And uh, please, uh, if you don't mind, for my brother-in-law, Jerry, if you can uh, give me an autograph. But that was kind of neat. To, I, can, I don't even remember buying the car, but it was kind of neat to, that they had kept it all
0: these years. i'm impressed because any uh like my kids if i buy them a car uh from a racetrack a diecast like that they're immediately opening it and tearing (laughs) into it so that's impressed that it's still in in the box there so hopefully it works out and you get that thing autographed pretty soon so um anyway all right well that's going to do it for uh this week's episode of the podcast we appreciate everyone listening and uh, as always have a great weekend we'll be back again next week to do it all over again